Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to Case Closed, the Contingency Fee Podcast. On the show, our team of industry experts interviews contingency fee attorneys. You will discover everything from how they got started to the secrets of their success and what's working in today's marketplace. And now, here's the Case Closed Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we're having uh, another uh, session of the Case Closed Podcast. And we have an attorney from Southeast Florida. Please introduce yourself to our audience. Hi, everyone. My name is Candace Shambron, and I'm the managing partner of Cernus Law, uh, a small boutique law firm that I started with my husband. Uh, well, he started it, and then I joined him two years later. Uh, so 12 years later, we are thriving, growing, uh, expanding to New York and to Texas. My husband deals with the personal injury side of things, and I deal with the property insurance law. Um, he does both, but I stay away from the personal injury. Um, but he does both personal injury and the property insurance law with me. So what is the best advice you have ever gotten and who gave it to you? It's interesting that you're asking me this question because I, uh, my husband and I have a podcast ourselves called Relationship, where we interview partners in life, in business, or both like the two of us. And the reason why we did relationship was to get the real nitty gritty life takeaways and lessons learned. And so I had thought the best lesson I had learned so far was that it really is about who you know and not what you know. You know, I was raised from a guy, from a father who was from the greatest generation. So he was old enough to be my grandfather fought in World War II. And the way he raised me was, you know, it was all about, you know, hard work. If you, you know, put in the time and you put in the effort and you have the grit, you will succeed, which I think is absolutely necessary. And that's more than half of it. But he wasn't that guy that ever brought, you know, my sister and I up, of, you know, here's the real life practical advice about what the real world is about. And so I went through the whole world, never shying away from uh, speaking engagements, networking, going to conferences, because I knew I was a good attorney. And I was, as I said to you before we, we came onto the podcast, I love the law. I'm that, you know, mad scientist behind the scenes. And I thought that my creativity, my hard work, and my, you know, my knowledge was going to get me very far, but it only got me, you know, part of it. And so what I've learned thus far is that, you know, life is really complicated and that the practice of law or what you do in life is not always about what's up here and your abilities, that it's, it's a lot more complicated and it's about, you know, relationships. But since having started, so I'm, I'm taking you full circle now to where I began, which is after recording uh, our fifth podcast, but we haven't officially launched yet, the almost 
unanimous answer, because I do ask that question, what is your, your best life lesson learned thus far? And I never thought about it, but if I think about it in what everybody said, which is the, pretty, the same answer, which is don't take it personally. And when I thought about that, I said, you know what? Well, I think that that is probably either this at the same level of what I thought my life lesson was thus far, but um, or it comes in second. But yeah, I think that I would learn that so far you can't take things personally because everybody comes with their own shit. And so one of my podcast guests said it best. She said, why would you take on other people's shit as your own shit? And that really resonated with me because, you know, I'm that person. I do want to save the world. I want to solve people's problems. And I'm always getting into trouble because I have a voice and I'm always standing up for what's right and wrong. But I can't I can't help myself um, and I'm always getting burned. So now I'm kind of learning to that I don't have to, you know, pick every battle and I don't have to stick up for everyone that sometimes it's okay to just shut the fuck up and stay out of it. Excuse my language, but I do swear. So you might have to bleep, 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 bleep throughout this. I I don't do the editing, so I don't I don't even know how to do the editing. So I just do the talking. No, but you know, but, but, but have you ever have you ever had an attorney accuse you in open court? Of lying to the court? No. Okay. See, when I have, though, I totally have accused many lawyers in verbally and in writing in my papers to the courts of lying. Oh, yeah. Well, when it happens to you and you haven't, you have to stand up for yourself. A hundred percent. Let me give you the best example. I actually just did it yesterday, but it wasn't to an attorney. It was to a law firm. Um, And I hope you don't mind me talking about these things, but, you know, people out there really need to know the shit that happens in litigation and why it sours us as lawyers over a period of time. So yesterday, you know, for months and months and months and months now, we've been trying to get discovery responses from, you know, this insurance company. And we're dealing with, you know, in-house lawyers from this insurance company. And, they sent us an email. They forwarded us an email saying, well, we provided these answers to you a year ago. And they forwarded this email. And my assistant, who is just as conspiratorial as I am, we look at this email and we're like, something doesn't look right with the signature <laughs> block that's not there when it normally should be there from this specific paralegal from you know the insurance company. And we noticed that you know, we can forward, and this is, you know, in case everybody wants to know out there, I don't know if it's a good, bad thing, but we doctored an email and tried to test it out to see if this is what the insurance company was doing. And it turns out that people are able to actually doctor an email. You could take, you know, I thought that every email comes with a time and a date stamp, right? And if you forward that email, you're able to manipulate the time and the date stamp and kind of change a couple of things to make it look like the original email. And so, yeah, I, I, when you discovered that they had doctored an email, I outright accused them of doing so. Because I like to be transparent. I don't I don't like to play games or mince words. And so. Well, so bring that up. I get yeah. to be, you know, since I'm a retired attorney now, I get to be a little didactic, professorial for the shits and giggles of it. Go for it. All right. So. 
if you wanted to have fun in court, what would you do with that event in court down there? What would you file? If it got worse, so in a perfect world, I would, well, first of all, when I accused them of doctoring an email, there was no response anymore. Like it went completely quiet. It wasn't, there was nobody trying to defend themselves. So if I don't get a response, I'm going to send an email saying, you know, as I said in my previous email, I don't take these issues too lightly. Um, if this happens one more time, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a pass on this. If this happens one more time, because I know this insurance company does this often. They doctor a lot of letters. They doctor emails. It's now becoming a pattern. If I catch you doing this one more time, I'm going to be filing a motion for fraud upon the court. And that's it. And then we can let the judge decide. Well, we, we both agreed to the remedy, but you should take a page from Morgan and Morgan. And oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> you know. What was their recent, what, what was Morgan and Morgan's recent statement? Uh, we're now. Give no, basically give no quarter to the defense bar. Right. right. That, that's their, you know, scorched earth. Well, I, 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 I think they're right up to the point, you know, I mean, you have to comply with the local uh, courtesy uh, orders that exist in all the right. circles. But yeah, I just file fraud on the court now. And uh, see, here's how you you get the settlement, right? I'm going to go back and give you a story. So I had an attorney who claimed an inordinate amount of hours on an attorney's fee case. Inordinate. I mean, so I set his deposition for three days. And I subpoenaed every record on all of his cases. Okay. Okay. And, of course, he sought a protective order, didn't bring him, was say, compel me. I'm not giving you the cases. I said, how many cases do you have? How many cases do you work on? And I showed that based on what he billed, right, on all his cases, he was billing like 900 hours a month. Okay. Ludicrous. What I would do is I would file a motion for sanctions and I would ask for permission to subpoena 25 people from that company and have a tech go in and prove the fraud on more than one occasion, then come back, seek to uh, file a RICO claim, and watch your case settle for more than you claim. (laughs) Because that, that pattern, the courts are going to allow you, when you catch them in fraud, in light of the new statute, go pursue the fraud. Right. Well, that means the moment you seek discovery, they're going to settle because they don't want you going in. So I do that as many times as possible. Um, I like you just brought that example up because not that it's really relevant to to everything that we're talking about right now, but it just kind of triggered the memory based on what you just said. So I had a fee hearing, um, just like you're describing. I'm the plaintiff, obviously, and we, you know, and the defense expert made the pivotal mistake. And for all of you lawyers out there that are listening, pay attention because this is, I, I was like, what a dumbass. Like, you can't do something like this. So you've got this defense expert who is trying to strike down my hours, right? Like, judge, I think she's billing too many hours, you know, blah, 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 blah. So 
It now comes down to the judge asking the defense expert, the expert, on what his time is, because as the expert for the defense, he gets his expert fees paid for. And he testifies to the judge that his hours are all of these hours that ends up being more than my hours. And I'm the one that's litigating the case. So this dumb schmuck is like, like, come on. Not only did you just screw yourself on a credibility basis, but you just screwed yourself on your own fees. Like, come on. And and based on that, the judge, I don't even think he, he eliminated any of my hours just by virtue of the fact that the guy lost all credibility in the world. But so yeah, all you greedy guys out there, don't ask for more fees than your opponent when you're trying to strike their fees down. So, all right. How many associates do you have? I have one. I have, well, we have a partner that's not like a principal. He's just partner by name. I have my husband and then I have one associate and we're looking to hire another associate. And uh, looking to hire two associates, one in New York and one down here in Miami. And so uh, you're going to be wandering like the members of the tribe wandering to Houston and New York City often, huh? Yes. Now, are you going to get licensed there? Very funny that you asked that question. I've been trying to, but apparently in Texas, you need to have your original birth certificate. Now, am I calling to see if there's a workaround? I'm from Taiwan originally. My mom is not the best at record keeping. And so when I ask my mother for the original birth certificate, she doesn't know where it is. So I'm calling the Texas bar to see um, if there's a way that I can go through the process without having to produce my original birth certificate. And you have to take bars in New York and Texas. No, actually, no. In the state of Florida, um, you have. What? They got reciprocity finally? Well, with Texas, you don't have to take the exam like the bar exam like justin had to you know sit through like hundreds of hours of courses and take little exams through the computer isn't like the formal bar exam and then once you get barred in texas you're able to then wave into new york ah yeah so it isn't an automatic reciprocity it's a pretty long process with texas Um, And you do need to sit through a bunch of courses and take the little exams that go with the courses. And it took my husband, I would say, a year to get through that process. And then after that, then he had to submit all the documentation uh, to New York. And that took another, I don't know, six months or so. And so he officially got sworn in yesterday. Congratulations. What's the most famous case you've had? I'm not going to say the name of the case because it was pretty, uh, pretty heated, but it, it was my most rewarding case where a client of mine who has no money, works two jobs, him and his wife, they had a, a tiny little roof leak that the public adjuster's estimate at most was, let's say, $20,000. So at most, full indemnity, it was a $20,000 case. But I noticed an irregularity with this new insurance company at the time that came into business in 2008. And, you know, I go through many processes that most attorneys won't even go through because they just don't give a shit. 
And so I always, you know, I saw an endorsement that we didn't see often um, in any of the policies that, you know, us lawyers that do property insurance, none of us, you know, had ever seen something like this back in 2008. And so I, since I'd never seen this endorsement before, I went on to the Office of Insurance Regulation website to make sure that it was approved. And I noticed in my particular case that the endorsement was approved midstream on this, on my client's policy period. So I said to myself, wait a second, there's no way this endorsement could be a part of this policy. Because, because it was at the beginning of the policy, yeah. Right, it was approved the date of the approval was midstream. So how could it be a part of this policy? And so we ended up, I think the total settlement was like 250,000 or 300,000 on a case that at most had a $20,000, you know, hundred percent indemnity of $20,000. So although it's, it wasn't the biggest case that I've had, cause I've had so many big ones. Um, but that was the most rewarding because the truth of the matter is, is that you know, I could be representing a big uh, condo building or an office building and get millions of dollars on a standard hurricane loss, let's say. You know, it's it's not tough to have a big settlement on a big claim already. You know, what I'm proud of is taking the little case that's super difficult and turning it into this big case. So have you ever looked at, are, well, let me do it this way. Are you aware that if there's a order to produce documents on a carrier and the carrier doesn't meet the order. Did you know that there's a super remedy that exists? Well, you have to be a little bit more specific. I'm sure there well, are I'm trying to, trying to be remedies, but did you, you, did you if, know you could put them out of business? I mean, put them out of business. If there is a court order to do X and they don't do X, there's a provision of Florida insurance law that you call the department of insurance and they can say goodbye insurance company. You failed sure that there's any teeth to that. You have to be familiar with the politics that's going on down here in the state of Florida. Nothing. I'm not saying that they would. I'm saying that you could. And the point is that very few of you plaintiff's attorneys actually take advantage of that. Can you imagine what would occur if you filed one of those things, which you can, and it's not extortion because it's in the statute. Right. do you think the CEO of the carrier, because can he take the risk that they might actually close him down? Because they could. If we're talking about the CEO that I just referenced to you, um, I don't necessarily think it would even raise a hair on his arm. I think I will beg to differ. I don't think it would even. Because politics may be politics. But it comes down to a breach of fiduciary duty to the shareholders when there's an order. Okay. And the other thing that I thought of, of how everyone is, um, you can play with them, (laughs) is you all should have all of your clients buy one share of every insurance company in the country or in the state of Florida. That does now, this is now the lean-in moment for me. This is getting interesting. I like this. Tell me. Because then you have shareholder derivative action play when they screw around. Oh, I got to write this down, by the way. I yeah. have. I'm this sure is- I'm going to be the most popular guy in the world coming up with these areas. But since I'm retired, I can sit here and... But <laughs> the, the way to play with them is have every homeowner buy one 
share of every carrier that's out there. So let's say there's a hundred carriers, you spend 500 bucks, then you could do mask uh, shareholder derivative claim against all the carriers each year because they're breaching their fiduciary duty. Very, very creative. And I was a defense attorney, but uh, you know, we never got to be creative. We always had to be reactive. So that's one of the reasons I gave up law. That and did uh, you so because I started off representing the carriers for five years? Did you ever feel like there was a shift? Meaning when you started practicing, did you ever feel like your opinion actually mattered? And that a certain period of time, you were then treated as just a vendor and that you were just a liaison and no longer an advocate and a lawyer. There was a specific case that got me to stop practicing law. So okay. I will give you the case and you tell me what you would have done. Okay. So I had a case that someone had two level thoracic herniated discs. He needed, it was a work comp case. He needed attendant care. All the medicals were legitimate. But as you would agree and your husband would agree, unless you have a big trauma, lifting 20-pound items, you're never going to herniate a thoracic disc. It's not possible. So three years of litigation. In that litigation, I have the plaintiff's attorney committing champerty, uh, and I get to put him on the stand. That's his defense. <laughs> 27 depositions. Three mine. 24 theirs. Okay. I'm in Tampa, cases in Lakeland. I go to trial. The exposure conservatively was 5 million bucks. Okay. I come out winner, winner, chicken dinner. Okay. I would have won substantively, but you talk politics. The attorney was dead to rights on champion because I just, I did one of the best crosses ever and he was screwed. And the judge did not want to rule on the champerty. So he went and said basically what I had always said that it couldn't be happened. So he didn't have to rule on the champerty because the attorney would have lost his license. He didn't turn him in and I didn't turn him in because I don't, I hate the bar as it relates to stupid stuff like this. I mean, they just, you know, it's a long story there with my former partner and whatever. So I get back and at the Chester didn't want to go to the trial and I report in. Now, how much do you think I build in three years going to trial and winning 27 depots, three mine, including costs? You got to guess. Grand, 150 grand, 200 grand. 35 grand. What? 35 grand. So um, the adjuster started dressing me down on my fees and the number of depots. I said, hmm, let's go over this. Four of those were mine. 23 were the other side. Uh, did you expect me not to attend the deposition set by the other attorney? Mm-hmm. And, well, your cost. I said, well, you all knew up front. I'm in Tampa. Right. Brooklyn's 45 miles away. You knew that when you hired me. And by the way, y'all paid my bills for three years. So here's what. Go fuck yourself. Right. This is what I said to her. And I'm doing a motion to draw on all, all your all your cases. And it was this was Ace was the carrier. And I had all and pick up your files tomorrow morning because they're outside with a motion to withdraw on all because you're fucking insane. 
So. Good for you for doing that. And and that was, listen, it wasn't a similar reason why I switched sides, um, but it tangentially was a, a similar reason. It just, I wasn't an owner, obviously, of, or, you know, any kind of a shareholder at the defense firm that I was at. But, you know, when you're an idealist and you're pretty earnest in your practice of law, it really sucks to hear the, you know, the managing partner of the defense firm that I worked at saying, you know, they don't care if you're a good lawyer or not. They just care about reporting. So just make sure you get your reporting in on time. That's all I care about. I don't care if you're this, you know, worst, suckiest attorney. And I was like, what? I didn't just go through law school, you know, take on some law school debt so that I can have somebody tell me your legal skills don't matter. I just need you to type up a report, make sure it's timely, because that's all the adjuster on the side of the insurance company is doing. And, you know, I drank the Kool-Aid for a very long time. And then I just realized that the policyholders are really getting screwed. Really. And I had a problem. There was one firm and I give them credit. God bless. I can't remember their firm's name. I was constantly cutting my associates bills. We had a lot of associates when I was practicing because Block billing sucks. I don't like it. I, I couldn't stomach it. Except- we were required to block bill. Like we had to, we had to delineate. Well, yeah, yeah, but most, that's what I had to teach my associates who came from other places. Right. It was this one firm and I give them credit. The only firm, they were a big firm. And I'm drawing a blank on name because I haven't practiced. I haven't talked to that firm probably in 20 years, but this firm told their clients in writing in the engagement letter that they blocked it. Okay. And they had a schedule and I'm going, God, I love you guys. Cause they were, their associates would build 350 hours a month. Cause it's all blocked, but totally kosher. Cause it was agreed upon by the client in the engagement agreement, right. which, you know, the other thing I hated is in the first one to do it was, a carrier that I don't think even exists down here anymore, Maryland Casualty. Maryland Casualty was the first carrier in Florida that I remember started cutting bills and say, oh, you can't bill for that activity. It's like, then I guess I shouldn't do it, should I? Oh, no, right. you have to do it, but you can't bill us for it. So that's what drove me out of practicing law. I will say I had one client and both adjusters at one client can constantly thanked me. Then I had one other client. So I had two clients in my whole career that thanked me. Um, I did for the community colleges from Ocala down the work for Jay Kimbrough, who ran the Gallagher Community College Fund uh, for years. And we still keep in talk. And we've kept in contact ever since I stopped practicing on 2004. And then um, I did work for 17 years. I did all the work work comp work for Georgia Pacific for the whole state for 17 years. And I was the only attorney they ever had. I was a profit center. I made them more money back in the claims they had from special disability trust fund than they paid me in the 17 years. Only two clients ever that were appreciative. And I I came to accept they're not going to be appreciative. But after ACE then went on the offensive, I said, this is insanity. So. All right. Please tell every listener why, if they have a property 
claim or a PI claim that your firm should be hired in the Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Palm Beach area and Houston and here. Go ahead. Tell the world. I think that we're because of just the foundation that my husband and I come from and how we train everybody. We're actually one of the few attorneys still left out there that actually give a shit. And when you care you and your passion about something, then I think that you are a lot more effective and you're not just going through the motions and checking the box. I'm so sick and tired of dealing with any professional out there in any industry where you can actually see them not giving a shit. They, they're going through the motions. And, you know, it's kind of like I always give people the analogy. When you go to a doctor, you don't want the doctor to put a Band-Aid on you. You want the doctor to get to the root of the problem. You want the doctor to say to you, if this were my own mother, this is what I would be doing. And so I think that if you're, you know, if you're going to be in a position as a fiduciary, as an advocate, and you've put spent so much time going to school and, you know, most of us out there didn't, you know, didn't come from privileged families where all of our education was paid for. Give a shit because there's plenty of other ways out there to make a lot of money um, than being a lawyer. And it's probably easier. So people should hire us because we really care. We also pride ourselves in taking the collaborative approach. So I design my firm, no matter how much we grow, I'm going to be involved in every single case because I think two heads are better than one, three heads are better than two. And so we are really that law firm that no matter what case it is, we're constantly roundtabling. And I might come up with a theory or a strategy that you know my partner might not enjoy or like or think of and vice versa. Um, and so I think that we get better outcomes than most firms because we're not passing the buck to somebody else. We're all invested in it to get a better outcome. So hire her, hire the firm. <laughs> oh, she's smiling. Muzzle up. All right. Congratulations. <laughs> Stay on. Thank you for listening to another episode of Case Closed, the Contingency Fee Podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's guests and their insight. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. Case Closed, the Contingency Fee Podcast is led by industry experts who unlock insights from the nation's top contingency fee attorneys. Each week on the show, the guests share how they got started, secrets of their success, and what's working in today's marketplace. Guests on the Case Closed Podcast include successful contingency fee attorneys that will share their secrets so you can close more cases. Tune in each week for a dynamic conversation about winning legal strategies that will grow your business. 